turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2. Someone was looking at the bulletin ahead of the service and they were saying, oh, so we can listen, learn lessons from wise guys. Well, this morning we're going to learn some lessons from the wise men and we want to reflect upon what it is that we can learn for our own lives and, and for our own experiences as we, as we go through life from Matthew chapter 2 this morning. If you remember some weeks ago, I believe it was, Matthew, uh, we talked about Matthew's uh, purpose. Matthew was trying to lay out the, the importance that David, or Jesus rather, was the son of David, that he was the one who fulfilled that prophecy and therefore the Jews ought to worship him. And here in the opening of his gospel, he shows that not only should the Jews worship him, but the Gentiles as well, and they do. They come uh, to, uh, to worship and to give their gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we prepare to read God's Word, let's ask His blessing upon it. Let's open with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its richness. We pray that it would work in our lives, that You would... Uh, Give us what we have not, that you would make us what we are not, that we would bring honor and glory to you as you have created us to do. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Looking then, or reading rather together, Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. This is the Word of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for, it is, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. May it as blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is Matthew 2 all about? We might think it's about wise men. We might think, well, there's all this talk of these men who have come, and they've come to worship. And yet, when we look at Matthew chapter 2, it's hardly about the wise men. There's very little that we know about them. We were looking at this this morning around our 
uh, breakfast table, and there's many details that we have questions about, that, details that aren't listed. What is this star? Who are these men? Where do they come from? What were their names? Why doesn't it say, and they return to their own country? Why doesn't it say what country? So we know where they came from and perhaps uh, shed a little light on who they were. But this passage is not so much about these individuals and their and their stories, though the Bible is concerned about individuals and about stories and about history, it is more so about what they did when they heard the word, when they heard the news. How did they hear about this one who had been born king of the Jews? That, too, is something of a mystery. And there are pages and pages written as to who might have told them or how this might have come about. And we'll talk about that in, uh, a bit later. But what do we want? To, what can we learn from the from the wise men? I like these in, these uh, men because they're, they they teach us so much, though we don't know much about them personally. First lesson that they uh, that we learn is that God draws His people from from everywhere. These men are from the east. That's all we know. We don't know uh, much about where that was, but God in His mercy and power draws them to Jerusalem as they are looking for the one who's born king of the Jews, born king. Think about the surprising conversions in history of history of the church. When you look back, you think of Augustine, you think of Calvin speaking of his sudden conversion. You think of, of Luther and how he came to understand the gospel through his studies of the scriptures and how it was by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone to, to whomever the Lord would call. And think of so many other conversions. Think about conversions today, unlikely uh, converts. You think of very many whose backgrounds were changed by being invited to a meal uh, in, in someone's home and continuing conversation with them. Those who learned of the love of God after hitting rock bottom. I'm not going to give all the names. There were some in my mind, but that would lead us uh, far afield. We perhaps would start thinking about this, but just that idea of surprising conversions, people from unexpected places. This gives us hope that the word is powerful and effective, that the word can reach to the ends of the earth. We need to keep sharing the gospel, letting people know about Jesus Christ. How did these men find out that one had been born king of the Jews? Well, there are some thoughts Perhaps they learned of this prophecy from the Israelites when they were in captivity in the east in Assyria or Babylon. We don't know. Perhaps they learned it from Daniel in Babylon and they kept this, this teaching alive and they were waiting that day as, as the Israelites were waiting that day for the one to come. We don't know. But God uses witnesses. We know that. He uses witnesses to call people to himself. J.C. Ryle says this, men can be born in dark places and yet be made wise unto salvation. And we can rejoice that at this very fact, though we don't know who they are, God is drawing people to himself. And he does so through our conversations, through our, our uh, uh, willingness to speak. The account of the wise men teaches us to stop and marvel at God's goodness to people everywhere. Just this week, I was reading Norland de Groot's uh, newsletter. He works for Mintz. And he was talking about how he had just been in the Philippines to teach theology, and he was traveling home through Tokyo, and, 
his flight got canceled and he had to reschedule. He had to schedule another flight. And as he's standing in line with people that he had never intended to meet, he was standing next to a, a self-proclaimed atheist and, and, and a spiritualist. And he talked to this husband and wife and he began to, to discern from this man that he was an atheist because he was tired of all the laws and all the rules. He grew up in the church and he wasn't... Uh, wasn't interested in all these laws and all these rules, and he wanted to, to just be free of it. But as uh, Orlin talked to him about the grace of God in Jesus Christ, he became more interested. And he says, I don't know where the conversation will go. He says, I, I left them there. Probably will never see them again. But planting those seeds, right? We plant seeds and God waters, and he causes that word to grow. That is why we call, or that is why we're called to Proclaim the word so that people from far away, people from close at hand who maybe haven't opened a Bible, will ponder the message. I was visiting a shut-in this week, Deb Ohms, and her caregiver was there with her two young daughters because the daycare was closed for the holidays and was trying to talk to these two girls bouncing around the house, uh, jumping off the bed and all the rest, asking them about Christmas. Do you know who Jesus is? And they said, we have lots of gifts under our tree. We have lots of gifts under our tree, and it was hard to penetrate the energy, and yet we read the gospel of Luke chapter 2 in the birth of Jesus, and, and we don't know what will come of that. We know that mom was trying to get them to be quiet, but she too was on her, own, on her phone. Does the Lord hear our prayers that people would be converted when the word goes out? We trust he does. And so we are faithful. We seek to be faithful to proclaim that word, even to those who don't appear all that interested. Well, secondly, we see that religious privilege doesn't always bring true worship. The wise men indicate that they've come to worship the king of the Jews. A momentous word, a significant announcement. We've come to worship. We've come to bow down, to render obeisance, to render a a humble act of submission. And surely the scribes and Pharisees would hear this word and want to run to Bethlehem. That's what we would assume. And yet their privileged position did not lead them to do that. They had sat in silence for over 400 years. They hear that one has been born in their area and they don't go. Why? Well, we don't know why. Perhaps they're looking for something more majestic, something more regal that they can point to and say, that's our king, the one whose heritage is of of royalty, not some baby born in 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 an out-of-the-way place in Bethlehem, even the city of David. Maybe they didn't want to lend their credibility to the story about a birth that they had missed. You see, the first people to seek Jesus upon his birth were not the religiously privileged, but those from far away, the shepherds, these wise men. Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But it does say this, that those who believed in him, those who received his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. God's salvation going out how important it is for us then to not just open the Bible and say, oh yes, I've heard this story before. I know the details. I know the, the lessons. But to say, Lord, teach me that I might offer true worship in this mystery of the incarnation and this wonderful truth about your son coming to earth for my salvation. 
J.C. Ryle again says this familiarity with sacred things has an awful tendency to make men despise them. We want to pray that we're not despising the small things of God which lead to salvation for the world. We aren't despising those truths that God sets before us and says, ponder, consider how wonderful is my way. The weakness, our weakness to the world, but God's wisdom, God's strength for salvation. We need to remember that Christ suffered disgrace, bearing our sins. Let us come and worship him, considering that he took up a position of humility, coming down that he might raise us up. Well, the third thing that we can learn as it's been laid out by J.C. Ryle is this. King Herod inquired of the chief priests and teachers as to where the Christ was to be born, but their head knowledge did not lead to a heart conviction. The chief priests and scribes knew right away where the king was to be born. They had knowledge of the scriptures. They read that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah the prophet. Again, why after reading this, why after hearing this, don't they then go and see for themselves? They had all this knowledge. They had all this understanding. But they had not asked the Lord to work in their hearts, to be prepared for his way of salvation, to accept his truth. The wise are often too wise, in quotation marks, too wise in their own eyes to receive from the Lord when he wants to give according to his wisdom. They seek signs. They seek wonders, Paul says. And how true it is when people say, that, that seems too, too normal, too ordinary, too hard to believe that the creator of the world would, would offer his strength to us in that way. Paul said to the Corinthians, who were you when God called you? You were not wise. You were not influential. You were not powerful. God chose the weak to shame the strong. Are we wise unto salvation as we hear these words, recognizing in this God's incredible offering of salvation? Do we need signs? Is that what's necessary? Will that make the difference? Well, you know what happened in Jesus' ministry. He had offered miracles and did many wonderful things. And yet he said this of the people who observed, though you do not believe me, believe because of the miracles I perform. He said, "These these are signs to show that I am the one from the Lord and they did not receive him. It's possible, you see, to be very intelligent, very gifted and not receive the word of God given. J.C. Ryle puts it this way, a little grace is better than many gifts. Gifts alone save no one, but grace leads on to glory. In our prayer, then, as Lord, work graciously in our hearts to see the wonder of the incarnation. Change our hearts. Fourthly, consider the lesson of diligence, spiritual diligence here. These men had traveled hundreds, perhaps thousands of miles to find Jesus. What must it have cost them to do so? To leave behind what they had? To travel from their homes to where this child was? The diligence they display is admirable. Herod says to them, go and search diligently for the child. Well, they have already been uh, diligent on their search and they will continue to do so. 
Herod should have been diligent enough to go with them to consider who this king was who could bring peace on earth. We ourselves have the word before us. We don't have to ascend into heaven to receive it. We don't have to descend into the depths to receive it. God has set it before us, declared to us the way of salvation. He is before us in the word. Christ is displayed. Peter says that we have the word before us. We do well to pay attention to it, for it is the word of life, Second Peter chapter 1. Peter, an eyewitness of Christ, says this, the word The word is even greater, the complete message about Christ. The Bible explains who he is, leaving nothing out that is necessary for us. We have to diligently study that word and then pray that our hearts would be changed, as we've heard in the previous point, that our hearts would be changed by this truth, that we would then live in light of this wonderful message with joy and with thanksgiving and with peace, seeking to do our Father's Well, this model of devotion ought to press us on to learn more of Christ. And lastly, we see in these wise men a picture of true faith. These wise men pursued and believed in the Christ whom they had not seen. How often don't we hear that word? Faith is believing in that which we have not seen. Trusting God, knowing who God is, seeing his faithfulness from page to page in his word and knowing that he can be trusted. They believed in this one to come and when they came to the scribes and Pharisees, they were unbelieving. They believed in this one when they saw him as a baby on the lap of his mother. They worshipped him as king. The world hears of God's plan of salvation through Christ and shrugs, or if we bring up that name of Jesus, they become annoyed because they don't want to hear of him. Believers do not turn from Christ. The truly wise receive Jesus and all that he is. Though we have not seen him, we love him. That's Peter's approbation of those who are receiving his letter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. What a wonderful statement. What a a declaration and what an identity we ought to bear. Those who love the Lord Jesus, though we have not seen him, we believe in him, are filled with joy, knowing that he works powerfully in us to transform us in a way that the world never could. J.C. Ryle says this about these wise men. We read of no greater faith than this in the whole volume of the Bible. Let me say that again. That's quite a statement. We read of no greater faith than this faith of the wise men. In the whole volume of the Bible, it is a faith that deserves to be placed side by side with that of the penitent thief on the cross. The thief saw one dying, a criminal's death, and yet called Jesus Lord. The wise men saw a newborn babe on the lap of a poor woman and yet worshipped him and confessed that he was the Christ. This is the kind of faith God delights to honor. We must not be ashamed to believe and confess Christ, though all around us remain careless and unbelieving. A wise word, a good word to be received as we think about how these men pressed on in true faith. That word is given to you today. Go and search diligently and worship and do so with exceeding great 
joy. May God give us all that ability to worship Christ, the newborn and reigning King. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder of this wondrous message and the response that we ought to have to it. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to be those who are wise unto salvation, perhaps seen as foolish to the world, and yet those who lean in to hear, those who rest upon your everlasting arms, trusting that you will bring us home to glory as we press on, as we are on this pilgrimage to the new Jerusalem, to the heavenly Jerusalem, increase our faith, increase our joy, establish our hope, and lead us to a fervent expression of love. Through Christ our Lord, we ask this. Amen.